It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual manner. Cruel Coven. Hello, besties. I thought you were going to say hello, basket cases. That too. <laughs> Welcome to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. My name is Tori. I'm Katie. And here we are. And we are here. Thank God. Nice to see you all again on this lovely Thor day. Yes, it's God. Thor day. What a Thor day it is. Um, We have some stuff. We have a bunch of stuff for you. A bunch of stuff to listen for you. to. Only to listen. You can't have it. <laughs> we don't have anything tangible. No. Only for your ears. No, our Patreonies are going to be getting a little gift soon. Ooh, are you doing a little foreshadowing? <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to be getting some mail soon with something in it. But it's going to be probably next month or the month after. Not ah, next month. It just depends on how fast they get to me. Yeah. Or maybe late May even, actually. Maybe. Depends. Slow. Things are slow. Things are slow. The mail is very slow. It has been for a while. But let's talk about Patreon. I mean, okay. we did a perfect segue into that. Oh, look um, at us. <laughs> look at us achieving <laughs> the bare minimum. Okay. So the very first thing I want to do is shout out our two newest Patreoni pepperonis, Brandy and Jamie. Brandy and Jamie, we love you. Thank you for joining us over there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining the Cruel Coven, Brandy and Jamie. We are so fucking excited to have you. And you all know that we literally could not do this without you and your support. So thank you. And we hope you enjoy your extra content. You get access to all of it now, the the whole backlog. All of the audio is right there on Patreon. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, those of you who are not Patreoni pepperonis, let's say you subscribe tomorrow, you're going to have access to everything we put out in the past six months or however long we've been doing this. Mm-hmm. It's not just like from tomorrow on. Right. Which I think is a really cool feature that Patreon has. It is. So you can scroll through, maybe we'll post in the group because I think a lot of our, most of our Patreons are in the group. Most of The them. hashtags to search mm-hmm. for like That's certain true. things. That's true. That's yeah. true. I always have certain hashtags for things. And when I don't, and someone points it out, I'll make one. All right, that is that. What is next? What's next on our list? She's got to post it. I have a post it, you guys. <laughs> so prepared. I just scribbled it right before we started. We actually have a really awesome update on the Rebecca Zahau case. Mm-hmm. Oh, this actually, we've talked about it a couple times, um, like on Patreon and other places, but mm-hmm. we've never talked about it in the podcast. No. That. Actually, I'm just going to read you the article. It'll do it much more justice than me rambling about it. Okay. So this article is from Times of San Diego.com. And it says, Zahal family wins day in court versus Sheriff Gore seeking proof of murder. Mm -hmm. A superior court judge has set an October hearing date that the family of Rebecca Zahal hopes will lead to evidence of homicide in her headline grabbing 2011 Coronado death and force authorities to revisit the case. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department has twice declared that Zahao, the 32-year-old girlfriend of pharmaceutical executive Jonah Shacknai, committed suicide. She was found hanged at the Spreckles Mansion, naked, gagged, and with her wrist tied behind her backs. You guys should know we've done, we did a two-parter on this mm-hmm. where we talked to Rebecca's brother-in-law, Doug, who has been amazing throughout yeah. that entire thing. So if you have not listened to those two parts, you should go back and listen to those. Yeah, and this is a pretty big deal because 
it's going to force them, like it said, to look into it again. And that Finally. was one of the main goals that was like, that yeah, the family when, wanted. When we asked Doug, like, what do you hope to get out of like doing interviews and doing things like this? Mm-hmm. It was to have her case revisited and reopened. Yeah. So the article goes on to say, on Friday, Judge Timothy Taylor agreed to hear arguments from Zahau's sister, mother, and brother-in-law that the sheriff's department should turn over more details in the case. They sued Sheriff Bill Gore under the California Public Records Act. Doug Lehner, husband, who Doug, the one we just Mm -hmm. talked about, husband of Rebecca's sister, Mary, said Tuesday that our whole goal is having the case reopened. In April of 2018, the Zahows won a wrongful death case, a civil jury finding that Jonah's brother Adam, staying in the guest house of the Ocean Boulevard mansion, was responsible for Rebecca's death. Eventually, the suit was settled with a $600,000 payout. Adam Shackney maintained his innocence and told reporters in February of 2019 that Zahow's family did this partially for the money, but partially so they did not have to show up in church and have people look at them and think, Think our daughter committed suicide. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. I never knew he said that. Oh. I knew he said a lot of dumb shit. Yeah. And a lot of awful shit and a lot of vile shit, but I did not know he said that. That is really messed up. So that's really awesome. They are mm-hmm. going to they're gonna get things done. That is one family, and there's so many families that are refusing to give up on answers that they want. But I think we just have more of a personal connection to them now. Right. Because of our talks with Doug and because of how close we got with Doug. Um, So I'm fucking rooting for them. I think that they're amazing people. And I really, really, really hope that this gives them the answers that they need and want and deserve. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an article. No. But I have a story Mm -hmm. from Courtney that she sent us that neither one of us have read. No. So I'm going to read it right now. On the air. On Are the you air. Ready? Live on the air with Live. Rule and Unusual, the podcast with Tori and Katie. Hey. Here you go. Thank you, Courtney, by the way, for sending in yeah. your little story of yours. Thank you. Thank you. Are we ready for this? I think I'm ready for this. Yeah, this I'm is, excited. Um, a ghosty story. Oh, and you know how I know? How? Because it's called Ghost Story. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank so. you. Courtney, thank you for putting it plain and simple for us. <laughs> It says, Courtney says, so I wanted to tell you guys a ghost story, but I need to take you back a little. In November of 1987, my mother was pregnant with me and having complications. Her grandmother, her mom's mom, whom everyone called Great, her name was Louise, my middle name. Well, Great had to have a procedure done and she went into the hospital and unfortunately never came out. Oh, no. Mm. Great. That sucks. My mom had been having issues with me from gestational diabetes to an abnormal amniocentesis and lost 26 pounds while pregnant. Oh my God, no. Yeah. My mom had to have a C-section and she was panicking because the last person who went under had never woke back up and my mom was terrified. Oh, that is scary. That is really scary. While my mom was laying down crying, worried she wouldn't wake up, every time she had a contraction, my heart would stop. Oh, Jesus, Lord. She felt something hold her hand, and she immediately felt a calming sensation. I believe it would be the drugs, but she believes it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Courtney, you sound just like me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Luckily, when I was born on April 11th, I had no issues and my mother was fine. I was a fat, healthy, 10.9-pound baby. Wow. You were a big old baby, Courtney. A big old baby. Oh, I bet that was all mm-hmm. so cute. My mom was extremely close to Great, and she believes that Great was given the option to either pass on and allow me to be born with no issues, or for her to live and me to have issues. Aww. So at the funeral for Great in late November 1987, my cousin, who was was four was waving to someone someone asked what are you doing he said waving to great oh mm. that <laughs> really like makes me feel yeah. like oh god you can see that like a movie yeah right yep <sighs> yep also apparently great was amazing at cooking and one thing she cooked that everyone loved was apple tarts that sounds Ooh. so good no one could make them like her My great aunt wanted to make some, so she's cooking in the kitchen, making some apple tarts, and all of a sudden she smells great's perfume and feels breath on her neck. When she turned around, no one was there, and the perfume smell was gone. Great was there making sure she didn't fuck up those apple tarts. Yeah, she was like, honey... Mm-hmm. You you're, need you're to, doing it wrong. Yeah, you ne- I need to I need to take control here. Well, fast forward a few years. I'm about 3. I'm with my grandma, my mom's mom, Net, and we were driving in a car and I said great told me to tell mom happy birthday. My grandma almost wrecked the car. Oh, I would have too. <laughs> Net said, "What?" Now, mind you, no one talked about great to me. I have no memory of anything related to great. Couldn't tell you what she looked like, but since growing up, I've heard nothing but amazing stories about the woman. However, at three, no one talked to me about her. No photos, nothing. So my grandma, Nett, said, how did you know today was your mother's birthday? I said, great told me. But she was confused because I never knew great or anything about her. Also, I was only around my grandma and no one mentioned my mom's birthday. Yet that day was, you guessed it, my mom's birthday. Wow. When Nett told my mom, she freaked out but believed great would do this. (laughs) (laughs) Now That makes me really just giddy inside. I know. It's cute ghosty stuff. It it is cute ghosty stuff, yeah. Great's a very cute ghost. Because, yeah, great, yes, it sounds like great was a really cool lady, Mm -hmm. too. Now, several years later, my aunt was taking flowers to a grave and took her son, who was maybe seven, with her, and he made this huge smile and started waving. My aunt said, Dalton, what are you smiling and waving at, seeing nothing there? Dalton says, great. But just like me, no one ever mentioned great to Dalton. Dalton is about five years younger than me. There's no pictures or anything up, and no one really talked about her. Wow. Now, my mother is a very religious person. I was raised religious, but I'm atheist now. And to me, this whole situation, I feel, could be explained. However, I don't remember the interaction with great. I'm simply going by what I was told from multiple people. Just thought this was a strange story about ghosts, if you will. Hope you guys enjoyed it. As of 2021, there hasn't been any sightings of great. Oh, I want there to be another <laughs> I <know>. one. <laughs> I feel like she's always around. Yeah. I just have that feeling. <laughs> also, you guys need to make more podcasts. I'm running out. I'm addicted. Help me. Listen, we're trying. <laughs> Courtney We're S. trying, lady. <laughs> no, thank you so much for emailing us. Yeah, that is incredible. That was a sweet ghost story. Yeah. And I know Katie's more skeptical. Mm-hmm. I'm more, I believe, in all of that. I feel like Courtney and I are soul sisters in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have 1 million percent. I believe all of that. Mm-hmm. All of it. Yeah. Fun. Very fun. fun. Thank you, Courtney. And it wasn't a scary one. It wasn't a scary one. Great. I mean, I have a feeling I don't know great. No. I didn't know great, but I have a feeling great w- would be a prankster too. 
Yeah, gra- yeah, great would probably try mm-hmm. to pull some shenanigans. Oh yeah, I I just have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, great grandmothers really are just little shysters. Yeah, they, I only ever had Grandma Bun yeah. that I knew. I feel like they but like yeah. to be like very prim and proper, but like behind the scenes, they're little troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Those great grandmas. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have, we have one more thing. Yeah, and we're going to do this instead of question of the day slash week, just because we have a lot. Yeah, we've got a lot going on. Today. We've got a lot going on. So no QOTDW and no like other articles. Right, but we're going to be back to normal next week or whenever. <sighs> Are we ever normal? <laughs> or whenever. Normal. <laughs> what is normal? Um. Okay, so one final thing and then Katie's going to have the entire floor. The whole floor. So last week when we released the episode on Peter Nygaard, Mm -hmm. I was not expecting to get a message from one of our lovely listeners that they had an interaction with the Peter Nygaard crew. Yeah. 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 (laughs) When, okay, Wild. so, so I asked this listener if she wanted us to say her name or not, and she asked if we would just not. I am just going to refer to her as Sam just to make it easy. Okay. So we get a message from Sam on Instagram. And the very first thing she says is currently listening to the Nygaard episode. That's great, right? Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're listening. That makes me happy. Yeah. But then she goes on to say, just thought I'd share that I was recruited mm. To work for the Nygaard company around 2010 or 2011 to work in their office as a trade show coordinator, something like some kind of trade show coordinator. I attended a pamper party at his property in El Segundo. They took pictures of all the girls upon arrival, like a headshot. Mm -hmm. The girls were all young and good looking, some topless. They offered manicures, massages, pedicures, a full bar, and tons to eat. They were all having a great time. The home was filled with pictures of Nygaard. Surprise. Right. (laughs) And famous people like a restaurant would have. I thought it was creepy as fuck and noped out of there. Good. Thank fucking God. I never saw Nygaard, though the woman that was attempting to recruit me wanted me to meet him. No. It gives me fucking... When I was reading this the first time and talking to her, I I had literal chills. Uh Uh-huh. I had even Googled him prior to the party and saw only one lawsuit at the time, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. But after the party, I had no doubt he was guilty of some shady shit. Good. You trusted all of your guts. All of your guts. All of them. Sam. Any hoosie, there's a story for you. And I sent one, two, three, four, five in a row. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, my (laughs) fucking Lord, Sam. And then I said, one, holy shit, I cannot believe this. I mean, I believe you. I'm just V shook. (laughs) And then I said, I'm glad that you noped the fuck out of there. Number three was, can I share this? And number four was, I'm sitting here with my jaw on the floor. (laughs) So she said, I know it's crazy. Never thought about it until recently. And yes, I received a folder all about the company that included a DVD to watch, but I never Uh. did. I wish I knew it was on that DVD. Right. It's Peter Nygaard with his fringy um, jacket. With his hands on his hips in front of a tiger (laughs) spouting water out of its asshole. God, what a douchebag. My name is Peter Nygaard and (laughs) I'm here and look at my key. (laughs) (laughs) Look at my key. (laughs) Okay, so she goes, Sam goes on to say, 
I did really like the woman that I met, and I believe that she mentioned her whole family worked for him. Oh, wow. Including her husband and her children. Also very strange. I probably still have my email correspondence with her. And she said, yeah, you can share it, but please just leave my name out of it. And she said that the episode was a trip. And then she sent me the emails. So Sam was incredibly badass <laughs> for scrolling all the way back to 2010 and 2011 in her fucking email folder. Yeah. And okay, so this is what it says. It says, hi, Sam. How are you? It's something. She blacked it out. My boss is in town for another week or two. I want to approach him on hiring someone for the office. And I was curious how you are doing. If you are still possibly interested in changing jobs, we are having a party at his house at the beach on Sunday in Marina del Rey. <sighs> If you want to come with a couple of girls, mm-hmm. you are very welcome. Get a feel for the environment with a smiley face. Oh, the, the environment. Mm-hmm, the, and then she put the address in the email in Marina Del Rey. And then the person goes on to say, it's on the beach. Parking is tough. There is a public lot around the corner on Via Marina. Let me know if you can make it. I will put you on the list. It starts at 3P. Most people come around 5P. It's a good looking party set. It wouldn't be an interview, more of a chance to check things out. So what the fuck is the point? That yeah. is so fucking weird. It's, it's very weird. Like, I want you to have this job, but why don't you come to this party and bring some friends? Yeah, but you're, not, not, you're not getting an interview. That's so weird. So then Sam was obviously like intrigued, like, what the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. So she must have replied however she replied. And then this person sent another email. And the person says, look forward to seeing you later. Are you bringing anyone with you? Like, that's fucking weird. Stop. Like, why are you so obsessed with having more Uh girls there? Yep. So you can get more headshots to put into Peter's database. Yeah. I will add your name to the list. I have not told anyone about the work part yet. Like, Wait, what? What the fuck? Oh, my God. I wanted you to check it out and talk a little more before you make any life-altering decisions. Bring a resume so I have it, just in case, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. If you get here 4.30 to 5p, the party picks up around then. Lots of food, volleyball, nails, and alcohol. That whole correspondence to me just seems shady as fuck. Right. Well, especially now knowing what we know. Exactly. You know, I can understand how, you know, that sounds cool, right? Exactly. I get it. Exactly. But like... You now, you know, you Mm -hmm. can tell like reading into it that this person who was emailing Sam was like was already grooming her. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I would love for you to be part of our company. But if not, at least you'll get some free alcohol and your nails done. Right. You know what I mean? It's almost like an entrapment. Exactly. They don't want to paint your nails. No. They want to get you there. Right. Oh, I hate that so much. So then obviously Sam and I talked a little bit more. She said that she couldn't remember all that much like from the pamper party. She just know. I mean, this was like a decade ago. Mm -hmm. She just knows that it was extremely uncomfortable. But fortunately, she brought a friend with her and it was she she described it as like a sorority party. Okay. We were talking about how the bartenders would slip things in drinks Mm -hmm. reportedly. And she said that she would not be surprised if they snuck things in drinks. And she didn't recall if she had a drink because it was so weird. So she already had that gut feeling like, yeah, I can't trust anyone here. You know? Yeah. You have to keep all of your senses about you. She said she maybe had a glass of champagne because it was opened in front of her, which is like 
pro tip. Right. Only drink something that you see every second of. Yes, yes. Um, And she said, I also assumed the bathrooms had cameras. Oh, Which I wouldn't have even God. thought about. But yeah. you know how the dance floors had cameras? Uh-huh. I'm sure they did. Probably in the effing toilets. Yeah. If the fucking disco hut has cameras in the yeah. floor. I bet you anything the bathroom did. I'm sure. And he had that, sub- reportedly, allegedly, had that um, fetish. Mm-hmm. Okay, she said that they stayed less than an hour and that they couldn't wait to get out of there and talk about how weird it was. And she sent me screenshots because she messaged her friend. Yeah. I was like, hey, do you like remember when that happened? The friend was like, thank God you passed up the offer. She was talking about how she thought that party was her interview. Mm-hmm. And when you asked about pay, weren't they offering under the table? God, it's so weird. I'm so glad she dodged that bullet. That's so. And came out the other side unscathed crazy yeah oh but thank you so much quote unquote sam Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sending that you are amazing and i'm so i mean i said this a million times in the messages but i am so freaking glad that she did not end up meeting him my god could you imagine right oh katie tori you have the floor i've got the floor you have the whole floor and nothing but the floor all of it so I have a case. You do? That I do. I've got one. And it might sound familiar to some of you. I know it won't be familiar to you. No. Because we've talked about this. Yeah. But it might sound familiar to some of you, and I'm not going to tell you why. But if you live in New Zealand, you probably know about this. And so we're just going to, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to dive right? right in. It's June 22nd, 1954. Wow, the 50s. The 50s. That is a, that's, that's a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, not to mention we're in New Zealand, so it's a little bit more than a few jumps and skips and hops. It's like a boat. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> boat away. 15 and 16-year-old Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume run out of a wooded area in Victoria Park in Christchurch, New Zealand. The girls are covered in blood. Oh, dear God. It can never be good if it's starting like that. No. And they're running toward the park's tea room, which is a small restaurant located within the park. The owners of the tea room, a couple named Agnes and Kenneth, see Pauline and Juliet running panicked bloody, and they recognize the girls right away. They had just eaten at the tea room a little while ago with an older woman. Oh, God. Okay. As the girls drew closer to the building, one of them screamed, Please help us. Mummy is hurt, covered in blood. Oh my god. Agnes takes the girls into the tea room, and Kenneth takes off down the path that the girls had just come from to see if he could help the injured woman. But when he found her, Kenneth quickly realized that the woman was far beyond help, and that she had definitely not been the victim of an accident. Okay. Are we going to hear what she looks like when he finds her? I'm um, kind of, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's our opening scene. Okay. We're going to go back into some backstory about Pauline and Juliet, these two girls. Okay. So Pauline and Juliet met for the first time at Christchurch Girls High School in 1952 when they were around 13 and 14. So this high school was pretty esteemed. Attending Christchurch Girls High School would open doors for you. Sure. It was a little pretentious. And it said that if you went there, it meant you know, like you were just a little bit better Ugh, than the other kids. I hate that. This school was very strict. 
you had to walk single file down the hallway, straight lines, no speaking in the hallways, uniforms, which included gloves and hats even. Really? Wow. Yeah. The 1950s were wild. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the school was huge on tradition. Sure. The school would take the girls and turn them into high-achieving, proper ladies. Oh. So according to classmates, Pauline always looked sad. Oh. From the photos I've seen of her in high school, she really did. I saw this one photo in particular where she's standing with a group of classmates and they're all smiling for the camera and Pauline is looking down. And it's not even that she's just looking away from the camera. She's got this really sad, like forlorn, almost maybe a little mad look on her face. And I'll share this picture too. Sure. But it's a really sharp contrast looking at the other girls and then seeing Pauline just like looking like that. It's a little eerie. Oh. Pauline's personality was just a little darker than the other students. She was quiet. She was a broody teenager for sure. Pauline lived in an inner city house in Christchurch and her family's house doubled as a boarding house run by her mom, Honora. And Pauline's dad worked in a fish shop. So they're not, they're working class. Yeah, they're not like high society. Right. Or, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Juliet Hume, on the other hand, she was tall and confident. She had no problem making friends and being open and bright and smiley. Can't relate. No. She was elegant. She came from England. Her oh. family moved from England. So she had an English accent, which was um, one of the people that went to school with them. I watched a documentary about this called Reflections of the Past. And this person that they interviewed, a classmate, said that she was very exotic to them. I was going to say, England. it was probably, like, they were probably all very intrigued by yeah, her. Yeah, she was almost like, she was almost sought after. Yeah, You know, I'm everyone sure. wanted to be around her. She was like an anomaly. Yeah. Juliet would tell them stories about her world travels, and everyone was just enamored with her. Sure. Juliet was born in London, but her father had taken a job as the head of Canterbury University, in Christchurch. Okay. He was the head of the one college that they had there, and it was an esteemed position. So basically what you're telling me is Juliet's family and Pauline's family were very different levels economically. Oh, yeah. Yep. Juliet's family was very well off, at least compared to like those of her classmates. Most of them came from working class families. So not only is she this pretty tall English girl. Sure. She's wealthy. Sure. She's got, she lives on this like estate, she this has, big house. She just has like all of the outward mm-hmm. things that people want. Yeah. But yeah. But who knows how she felt internally. Her family had this high class social life. They were glamorous. They had this grand house, like I just said. Juliet's mother would later describe her as a very demanding child, which I would imagine, yeah. Well, most kids are demanding, but then when they're brought up in a world like that, I feel like they feel, yeah, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. (laughs) Right. But she did say, Juliet's mom did say that she and Juliet's father were very, very fond of her. I mean, I would hope hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. (laughs) But as a child, Juliet's parents were a little bit worried and and I don't know what this means in this case. Sure. But they were worried about, quote unquote, defects in Juliet's personality and temperament. Hmm. Juliet was known to argue with her teachers. Once she insisted to one of her teachers that the moon was actually black. And the thing was, because of who Juliet's father was, she could get away with being argumentative and a little bit difficult. That's annoying to me. She got away with it. She was very used to getting her own way. She was pretty much enabled 
to do do that in every aspect of her life. The other students, including Pauline, were shy, quiet. They wouldn't dream of telling a teacher that they were wrong. Right. Because they would more than likely be punished for it, whereas Juliet wouldn't. God, I feel like that will cause a lot of people to end up having a lot of resentment for her. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe not in the beginning when, like, you're enamored. But then, mm-hmm. like, long-term, it's Once like a relationship. like, negative personality traits yeah, start to like, come out and seeing how she can get away with things. Pauline had a pretty intense surgery on her leg when she was younger. Sure. Um, she developed osteomyelitis. Okay. She developed osteomyelitis. Oh, okay. Sure. That sounds good. Um, but what that is is an infection of the bone marrow. Mm-hmm. Um, this left her with part of her bone missing on yeah. one of her legs. And it was something that was noticeable and it limited her a little bit. Sure. Juliet had suffered from tuberculosis when she was a child. And that resulted in her having lasting effects from the illness. So I don't know if she had like lung scarring. Sure. And, like limited um, capacity, like lung capacity. I'm not really sure. But... Neither Pauline or Juliet could participate in sports at the school because of their medical pass. Sure. So they couldn't do sports. They couldn't do gym class. So when the others were playing sports or exercising, Pauline and Juliet sat out of class together. So they were put together like on the sidelines, whatever. This gave the two of them, Juliet and Pauline, plenty of time to talk and get to know each other because they were always thrown together. Right. Um. They were both highly intelligent. They bonded over their love for literature and their health problems. It's said that they almost romanticized the idea of being sick. Oh. Yeah. It was was just something that, and I don't know if it's because they bonded over it and they, you'll see how enamored they get with each other. Sure. Um, That's like, that was their first initial thing in common. Like the thing that connected them. Right. It's said that once Pauline and Juliet bonded initially, they quickly became inseparable despite coming from totally different backgrounds. When the other girls would all be eating lunch together in in a big group and laughing and talking, Pauline and Juliet would be at a different table, just the two of them. Hmm. And then eventually you couldn't see Pauline without Juliet being right there or the other way around. Sure. The girls created this fantasy world. And they went from writing stories together about this fantasy world to actually acting it out as if it were real life. Okay. They began calling each other by their chosen names. Pauline became Gina and Juliet became Deborah. They invented their own religion. They had their own saints. Oh. Their saints were often based on celebrities at the time, like celebrities that they had crushes on. They created their own version of heaven, which they called the fourth world kind of like a parallel dimension to them. Yeah. I, I, it gets a little out there. Um, apparently, since the girls were spiritually enlightened, they could sometimes enter this fourth world and spend time there. Okay. Pauline would later say that they could achieve that high level of spiritual enlightenment because of their close bond. Oh, okay. So it's, it's very intense. This is very a very intense, intense relationship that yeah. they have going on. They were becoming very obsessive and codependent. The girls' parents started to worry. Because, I mean, they both essentially cut their families out of their lives at this point. Sure. They lived at at their respective houses, but they wanted nothing to do with their parents. They only wanted to be together. Yeah. Little to no interaction, I Mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah. And rumors began swirling that the girls were romantically involved. A doctor that their parents consulted even suggested that they had a sexual relationship. 
Oh, the horror, right? Yeah, right. Like, but okay, homosexuality, <laughs> right? But homosexuality at the time was considered a serious mental illness in New Zealand. Wow. Um, but the main issue was, like, all of that aside, no matter the nature of their relationship, it was extremely unhealthy, and the girls remained detached from reality and focused solely on each other. It was more than, like, she's my best friend and we do everything together. It was, like, she's the only person, the only thing in the world that matters to me, and I'm going to pour myself into her entirely and forget the rest of the world. Yeah, that's very obsessive. Very, very obsessive. And very and unhealthy. I can see why the parents would be worried. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not, not even, just... like, if they <laughs> were in a sexual relationship. Yeah, not that at all. That's fine. Of course, at the time, their parents probably would worry about something like that. Because of what they're... It's... Yeah. It was so... um, Like, not even in their realm of possibility. Right. And the doctor saying, like, they're mentally ill if they're... You know? Right. It's... You can put all that aside. It's not right. It's not healthy. Right. It doesn't matter if they're gay, straight. No. None of that matters. No. What matters is the relationship in general is not a healthy one. No. That is that is what what mm-hmm. needs to be fixed or Addressed, figured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the rest of it. Yep. Reportedly because Pauline spent a lot of time at Juliet's house and and even went on vacations with her and her family, reportedly when the girls had to separate, when Pauline had to eventually go home, the girls became physically ill. Wow. Yeah. So it was they were in very deep. Yeah. Very deep. So during what was supposed to be the girls' third year of high school, Juliet and Pauline's classmates noticed that they weren't attending school anymore. Hmm. They'd later find out that Juliet was away for a while in a sanatorium recovering from tuberculosis. Again, she got TB again. Oh my god, lord. Yep. And since Juliet couldn't be at school, Pauline wasn't going to attend school either. Of course not. Despite Juliet recovering out of town, their friendship continued. And when Juliet was released from the sanatorium, they picked up right where they left off. Of course. Reportedly, Pauline told the others that Juliet's dad was going to hire a personal tutor for the girls, but that never happened, probably because Pauline was making it up. I think that I think that yeah. was made up. Um, but things were spiraling. The girls' parents were losing control of them. They weren't in school. They would do quite literally anything to be together all of the time. Wow. Like, who doesn't need alone time Yeah, mm-hmm. to decompress? Right. It's almost like they became one person. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll talk more about that later. Okay. So Pauline and Juliet's parents, they got together to, like, sort of brainstorm ways to separate the girls, but they couldn't seem to figure out the best way to do that. And, you, I mean, you think about it, they're, like, 15, 16 at this point. Right. You can only control them so much. Right. You know? It's... I mean, I get it. You think about yourself at 15 or 16. And like Mm -hmm. if your parents said, don't hang out with them, you would want to hang out with them more. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the girls' parents were were dealing with shit in their own lives, too. They couldn't dedicate all of their time to to keeping these girls separate. And the girls weren't like out breaking the law or anything, you know? Right. Not yet. But, um, well, they weren't, you know, they weren't doing anything quote-unquote bad at that point right and Pauline's parents both had jobs that I assume they worked Mm full-time and then um 
Juliet's dad, who was the head of the college, mm-hmm. ended up being forced to resign. Oh, I, wow. I don't know why. So th- things were going on. Right. So they're trying to figure out how to separate the girls. They couldn't figure it out. Things were getting a little chaotic. But then opportunity came knocking when Henry Hume, Juliet's dad, found out that his wife, Hilda, had been having an affair. Oh, boy. Juliet reportedly caught her mother in the act in oh. bed with another man. And Juliet's parents were getting divorced. Subsequently, Juliet was going to be sent to South Africa to stay with her aunt. And I don't know why this is. Um, I know the dad wanted to go back to England after the divorce. I don't know where the mom was going. I don't know where Hilda was going to be. And I don't know why she couldn't have stayed with one of them or gone. I don't know if they just like, this is the right time. We're sending you here. Not only do we need to figure out our stuff, but you need to get away from Pauline. I was thinking maybe they both needed, maybe they, neither of them were staying in that house and they Mm -hmm. were both trying to figure out their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what the details are on that, but that was the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So Juliet was going to be sent to South Africa and the girls, they just automatically assumed. So by the girls, I mean, Pauline and Juliet, they automatically assumed that since Juliet had to leave the country, Pauline would just simply go with her. Oh, yeah. Okay. They figured that was that was the only rational choice. There wasn't another option to them. Right. But their parents saw it very differently. Of Specifically, course. Pauline's mother, Honora. At the time, in order to get a passport to leave the country, you had to have your parents' permission and signature to get the passport. Sure. If you were under 21. And Honora was like, absolutely not. Yeah. You're yeah. 15. You're you not are my moving. baby. Yeah. yeah. You're not moving to South Africa with your friend. Like, yeah. it's, it's not happening. And now that sounds like something we would yeah. want to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going, guys. We're, bye. We just ordered our clothes from Delia's.com. <laughs> yeah. We are going to Florida. <laughs> yep. And I will forge your signature if I have to, Mom. In my assignment notebook. Uh-huh. <laughs> Henry, Juliet's dad, he was all for it, actually. Really? According to Pauline's diary, which this is what they found later, he said that he was fine with Pauline going to South Africa with Juliet, and he was even willing to pay for her to go. Wow. But he wasn't Pauline's parent. It wasn't his decision. Right. And it's thought that Henry told the girls this, that Pauline could go, simply because he knew Hilda, Juliet's mom, would say no. Yeah. So it's almost like he's in, he was intentionally causing more problems. And he wanted to be the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, uh, no. That's <sighs> not fair or right. No. According to Hilda, it had been made very clear to the girls that Juliet would be going to South Africa by herself. So even though Hilda was also adamant that Pauline couldn't go, Honora, Pauline's mom, became the villain in the girls' eyes. Yeah, I wonder why. I think they just saw her as the main obstacle it was her they needed her signature for the passport to make this happen and she wasn't budging right okay i don't blame her so the girls were having to come to terms with the fact that they were going to be separated if they couldn't figure out a way to stay together by april of 1954 pauline was writing entries in her diary about killing her mother no pauline and how she could make it look like an accident or a natural death by the middle of June, Pauline was telling Juliet about what she wanted to do to Honora, and it didn't take long for the girls to come up with a plan. God. Mm-hmm. No, that makes me sick. Yeah. On June 22nd, the girls invited Honora to go on a walk with them in Victoria Park. Don't go, Honora. No. Don't go. 
Um, this park is up in the Port Hills above Christchurch. I was Googling it because that's what I do. It's it got, sounds like it's probably a pretty area. It is. It's like, it's got open lands. It's got planted gardens. It's okay. got pine forests with walking trails. It looks oh, very wow. pretty. And since it's up on this hill, you can kind of see the city below. Sure. It's really pretty. It's like a nice lookout. Mm-hmm. So Pauline, Julia, and Honora were all going up to the park to have a nice walk. Except Honora didn't know that Pauline was carrying a stocking with a brick stuffed inside of it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's that. The three of them were on this remote path in the woods, and Juliet, as planned, because this was all planned yeah, out, premeditated. She tossed the small pink stone that she brought with her. She tossed it like down the trail, and just as the girls hoped, Honora bent down to retrieve the stone for Juliet. Ah. Uh. When Honora bent over, Pauline swung the brick-filled stocking at her mother's head. God. They hoped, or thought, that one blow on the back of Honora's head would kill her, but that wasn't the case. It took both of the girls taking turns, by the way. No. 45 blows to Honora with the brick to kill her. That's vile. Yeah. Yeah. After they were sure Honora was dead, Pauline and Juliet ran from the trail back to that tea shop, leaving the stocking and the brick behind on the trail. And so this takes us back to the beginning. They are running out of the woods. And why would they leave the stocking and the brick? I know. And try and make it look like an accident. Because they're not like living in reality Yeah, land, that's true. Is that's what true. I think. They're in a different land. Mm-hmm. So they're running out of the forest, off the trail, covered in blood they get to the tea shop they tell agnes and kenneth the owners that i spoke about earlier yeah that honora had fallen like sure girls she's been bludgeoned 45 times right and her head is basically caved in she fell on and she fell a stocking <laughs> yeah. with a brick on it. okay okay ladies and like i said kenneth ran down the trail to see if he could help honora but when he got there she was very obviously dead could you imagine what he felt when he saw her yeah like i need to get back to my wife mm-hmm. now. yeah you i know what I, mean? I didn't even think about like, that oh my god that would be terrifying. now these two girls are with my wife alone mm-hmm. yeah i didn't even think about that holy shit Ugh. yeah and even kenneth who is not a police officer or anything like that could tell that it, it was not an accident right According to Agnes's deposition at trial, the girls were very concerned about the blood on them and on their clothes. They wanted to, they asked her if she could help them wash it off. Mm. And they just kept saying they wanted to go home. Agnes tried calling Pauline's father, but no one answered or the line was busy. So he called Henry Hume and he said that he would be on his way to pick the girls up. Okay. I don't know how much Agnes told him. Sure. I'm not sure. Agnes asked the girls what happened or how the fall happened because Agnes didn't know at this point the state of Honora's body. And Juliet reportedly said, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Isn't that creepy? That's really creepy. Pauline told Agnes, quote, we had been down on the track and were returning and somehow she had slipped on a plank, end quote. Okay. Yeah. And in the meantime, Juliet just kept repeating, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. So 
Honora's official cause of death was shock associated with multiple injuries to the head and fractures of the skull. Wow. The lacerations on her head would have been inflicted with a blunt object wielded with considerable force. Wow. Okay. The crushing fractures on her skull indicated that Honora's head was immobile on the ground when the blows were struck. And the bruising on her neck indicated that Honora had been forcibly held by the throat. Wow. Yeah. So this was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. A very vicious Very attack. bloody. Very brutal. A horrible death. So Henry Hume finally got to the tea room and he gathered the girls into his car. He took them home. Later that night, Pauline and Juliet were interviewed. Because obviously Kenneth at the park called the police when he saw Honora's body, and it was clearly a murder. All I can think of is poor Honora. I know. Like, I can't stop thinking that in my head. Her own Her own daughter. I I mean, yeah. And all I can think about is it took 45 blows to kill her. Right. For a lot of those. She probably knew what was going on and who was was doing it. She was watching her daughter kill her. She was staring Mm -hmm. into the eyes of Pauline. And watching her kill her. Yeah. Her teenage daughter. So it was very clearly a murder. Everybody knew this. They knew that Honora had been with the girls last. So of course they go to interview them. Yeah. They both denied any involvement. Of course. Yeah. Juliet even told her mother that she didn't witness the murder at all. She walked off and she was away from the trail. That was Juliet's story. And this got back to Pauline. Yikes. I'm sure Pauline was very surprised to yeah, hear this. Right. But it got back to her and she went along with it. Of course she did. Yeah. That does not surprise uh-huh. me. She said, that's right. Juliet wasn't there when I killed my mother. So she admits it. What? Mm-hmm. She's admitting to it very easily, very quickly, too. Wow. I did not see that coming. Yeah. When Pauline was asked what her mother said when she struck her, Pauline said, I'd rather not answer that. They asked her how many blows she inflicted on her mother. Pauline said, I don't know. Rather a lot, I imagine. Yeah, she needs Creepy. some mental That's help. A shiver. Yeah. Right? Juliet ended up giving a few different statements. Oh. In her first statement, she said that she was down the path a ways away from Pauline and Honora, and she turned around and saw Pauline beating Honora with the brick. Ugh. When she ran down to them, Honora was already dead. In another statement, she said that she was standing beside Pauline when Pauline killed Honora. And then eventually, Juliet admits that, yes, she hit Honora with a brick as well. Okay. So they did take turns. During a search, the police found Pauline's diary, the diary that she wrote about murdering her mother in. No. And it was clear from the entries that both girls had been in on the plan to murder Honora together, which is important to prove like premeditation and all of that. Um, It's believed that Juliet kept a diary as well, but that hers was burned by her parents. I bet it was. (laughs) A few days after the murder. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read you just a few excerpts from Pauline's diary entries. Ooh, okay. So this would have been 1954. Um, February 13th. Why could not mother die? Dozens of people, thousands of people are dying every day. So why not mother and father too? Oh. Yeah. Both of them. April 28th. Anger against mother boiled up inside me. It is she who is one of the main obstacles in my path. Suddenly, a means of ridding myself of the obstacle occurred to me. April 29th. I did not tell Deborah 
which was her pet name for Julia, right. of my plans for removing mother. The last fate I wish to meet is one in a boar stall. I'm trying to think of some way. I want it to appear either a natural or an accidental death. June 19th. We practically finished our books. Um, she's talking about the books that the girls were writing together. Oh, okay. Today, and our main Ike for the day was to moiter mother. She says moiter. And huh. I don't know why, if it's supposed to be like a code. But I mean, she's not hiding it very well. Yeah, But right. I'm just going to say murder because she says it a few more times. Yeah, you would think that she would say like pickle or yeah, something. Right. You know? Yeah. The notion is not a new one. But this time, it is a definite plan which we intend to carry out. Wow. We have... She like incriminated herself. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, obviously, amongst other things, but like especially yeah, with this. Big time. We have worked it out carefully and are both thrilled with the idea. Wow. Yeah. No. Naturally, we feel a trifle nervous, but the pleasure of anticipation is great. So not only <laughs> what you just said, but they, she was looking forward she to it. She wanted to. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even like, oh, my God, I have to be with this person. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, I have to kill my mom. Yeah. It was, I can't wait to do this. Yeah. June 20th. We discussed our plans for murdering mother and made them a little clearer. Peculiarly enough, I have no qualms of conscience. Or is it peculiar we are so mad? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. June 21st, we decided to use a brick in a stocking rather than a sandbag. We discussed the murder fully. I feel keyed up as if I was planning a surprise party. So next time I write in the diary, mother will be dead. Oh, my God. How odd, yet how pleasing. June 22nd. I am writing a little of this up in the morning before the death. I felt very excited, and the night before Christmassy last night. I did not have pleasant dreams, though. I bet you didn't. So, just to give you a little bit of insight about what she was saying about murdering her mother. I'm, I like, I don't have any words. I know. Isn't it just so, it's I like, just ugh. so badly wish that there would have been resources for mm -hmm. people prior to now and even now yeah. there's resources but they're very unattainable oh yeah for a lot of people so this is a quote from Juliet's confession interview quote we decided to go with Mrs. Reaper to Victoria Park Mrs. Reaper so Honora went by Mrs. Reaper and Mrs. Parker Reaper was the man that she like her boyfriend's last name but they weren't married it was kind of like common law Oh. So, and some, sometimes you see her as Honora Parker. Uh, you can also see her as Mrs. Reaper. Wow. If you read about this. Okay. Yeah. We decided it would be a suitable place to discuss the matter and have it out. I thought we might be able to frighten Mrs. Reaper with the brick, and she would have given her consent for Pauline and I to stay together. And after the first blow was struck, I knew it was necessary for us to kill her. Wow. 16-year-old Pauline... And 15-year-old Juliet were arrested and charged with murder. God. The inquest into the murder of Honora took place in the magistrate's court on July 16, 1954. And it was determined that the case would go to trial in the Supreme Court. A six-day trial began on August 23rd. And the prosecutor's main argument was that the girls were, quote-unquote, incurably bad. Wow. Essentially that there was no hope for them and that... There was like no treatment for them. Right. It was yeah. like, that was like ingrained in them is yeah. what that person yeah. is saying. Essentially that there was, there was no hope for them. They were too far gone. Wow. 
The medical witnesses that were called to testify said that the girls were insane, and this was because the girls' joint defense was insanity. Okay. Fully ado. Yeah. A madness shared by two. Wow. And this was really the only defense they had. So they were being tried together. It was obviously a murder. They they couldn't even argue accident. They couldn't even try to there argue no way. accident. Um, and both girls had confessed. Yeah. You know, so insanity it was. That was their choice. Their I mean, only... besides pleading guilty, but yeah. no, no lawyer is going to tell them to plead guilty. No. I don't think. According to the defense's theory, the girls were suffering from folia do, and that meant that they couldn't have committed the crime separately. It had to be done together. Now, at the time, and I think it's still similar today, to argue insanity, it had to be proven that they had a psychiatric illness, and if they did have a psychiatric illness, they had to either not know the nature or quality of their actions, or they had to be incapable of knowing their actions were wrong. So this is what they had to prove. The prosecution's key witness, a psychiatrist named Dr. Kenneth Stallworthy, argued that there was no way the girls were suffering from folia do. When he examined the girls, he found that they were pretty normal, quote-unquote normal. They didn't seem to be suffering from any sort of psychiatric illness. Also keep in mind, though, he's on the prosecution side. Right. So right. It, that's his opinion. And there was evidence that Honora's murder was premeditated. They had the journal, all of that stuff. They brought the weapon with them. So this kind of threw a big wrench in the insanity plea. This doctor saying that they're not insane, right. essentially, and the pre-planning of it. Right. But the one thing that kept people kind of guessing and unsure of the girl's mental state was Pauline and Juliet's make-believe world. All of this came out at trial. Got it. Okay. That they had this, the fourth world and right. gods and like yeah. all of that. They're, they had this whole universe that they created. And the jury got to hear about all of this. Wow. From them? No, they never got to testify. Oh. So the question was, did they lose themselves in this fantasy world, or were they just really angry about being separated? Right. And they took things way too far. This was something for the jury to think about. You know, they're hearing all of this quote-unquote weird stuff that the girls did. I don't know. But it's reasonable doubt. Sure. I think. But the prosecution kept hammering home the fact that, yes, they had this elaborate fantasy world, but they were sane. They understood reality completely. I think they like to retreat from their realities. Yeah. But who doesn't? I don't think they'd (laughs) come. I don't personally. I don't think that they lost grip enough to where it would cause them to brutally murder someone. No. Not from what I've heard. Right. Let alone Pauline's own mom. So I would hate to be on that jury. Me too. But the question that the trial was hinging on was in the moment, in the moment of murdering Honora, did they know that what they were doing was wrong? Pauline and Juliet had both made it clear that they knew it was a crime. Well, yeah, like in the yeah. diary entry, Pauline had said, like, I hope, yeah. like, I don't want to end up in, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so they knew that what they were doing was punishable. Yeah, they knew it was a crime. Like, they knew murder was wrong, but they thought it was okay for them to murder Honora. Oh. Not anyone else. They thought that they were above the law. They were heavenly creatures. Oh. It just, these, like, real world rules and laws didn't apply to them. Okay. So, they thought they could just murder Honora, 
get rid of her as an obstacle and just carry on with life. They didn't seem to have any concern about what might happen to them. Wow. Okay. Because they are heavenly creatures. They're heavenly creatures. Wow. That is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. They acted, so during the trial, they acted very arrogant, conceited. They kind of reveled, it seemed, in what they'd done. Their behavior is exactly why neither of them were allowed to testify on their own behalf, because they knew that they would fucking get up there and ruin it. Right. Juliet would even sit there during the trial and glare at the jurors one by one until until she made them all look away. Wow. Yeah. It was like, I don't know if she was trying to intimidate them. I mean, I'm sure she was trying to intimidate them. And not to compare dogs to to Juliet. Yeah. Like, not to compare them, but they say that, like, when you stare at a dog... Yeah. You need to keep staring until they look away because that means that you're dominant. Yeah. And they were trying to get these girls to be like, act a little sweeter or demure. Right. Don't glare at the jurors because they're deciding your fate. But right. it's like they didn't care. Right. They just right. didn't care or they just weren't taking it seriously. Right. I don't know. Well, no, because they're heavenly creatures. So yeah. something will happen and they'll right. get out of it. Divine intervention. So, and another thing that tells me that they didn't quite understand what might happen to them if they didn't get their shit together is that unless they were acquitted, they were going to be separated. They were going to prison. Yeah. So I, I mean, so that must have been like, that wasn't an option. Right. Once again, like that was not an option. The only mm -hmm. option was they're going to end up together. So, you know. Uh Uh-huh. And the thing is, like, we know teenagers' brains aren't fully developed Right. They have that pesky, underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, and they're more likely to engage in risky behaviors without thinking about the results of their actions. Right. But the results for Pauline and Juliet were here. These were This was the result. They were on trial for murder. I don't know. When I was 16, I got a 107 mile per hour in a 55 speeding ticket. You did. And okay, so that's risky behavior that I didn't quite think through. No. But then when I had to go to court, I was fucking scared shitless. Yeah. Because in the moment, you you right. do feel like you're invincible. Yeah. But then once you you are given a correction or whatever, mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, no, like, this is real. Like, yeah. I'm terrified. Uh-huh. But, and that's just my little anecdotal story. But these girls just didn't seem to care. And the jury could see that. Yeah. So the trial ended on August 28th, 1954. The jury deliberated for less than two hours, and they returned a guilty verdict for both Juliet and Pauline. The girls were both asked if they had anything to say, but neither one of them acknowledged the judge when he asked that. They didn't respond at all. Maybe they were like already in that other world. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Since they were both under the age of 18, the sentence was detention at Her Majesty's pleasure, which is weird, but I'm going to kind of explain. Okay. It basically means that they were going to be in prison for an indefinite amount of time, mm. like however long they saw fit. Um, not they, as in the girls, however long the officials or whoever was the making majesty. the decision. Yeah. Um, they would have regular reviews to determine if their sentences could be deemed complete and if there had been a change in their attitude and behavior. Okay. So Juliet was sent to serve her time in Mount Eden and Pauline was sent to Arohada, Arohada, Arohada. One of those. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Um, Separate institutions, though. Wow. They both, yeah. I can't, like... I know. They both served roughly five years in prison. Five years? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And they were released when they were around 21 years old. 
I think one of the reasons why they served so little time was because they were so young when they did that. Uh-huh. And a lot of people thought that they they were able to move on with their lives. Wow. And lead like a normal life. Hmm. Like the people around them. I I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't there. Right. <laughs> you weren't? Katie, you weren't? I wasn't I thought there. you were there. <laughs> I wasn't there. I thought you were like there reporting mm-hmm. or something. But I think that they saw them as these girls, young girls. Mm-hmm. And murders by women were not common. Right. At all right. then. So I think that they just saw them as these young girls who had bright futures. Wow. could have bright futures. And that they shouldn't be saddled with this for the rest of their lives. I have a lot of thoughts on that. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um sentences for for people who murder when they're underage it's just not always black and white i think right you know and i would hate to be the one making that choice right i don't know um the documentary i watched did say that this decision to let them out was not taken lightly though sure it was very well considered when pauline and juliet were released in 1959 it was under condition that they were never to contact each other again okay and I think their attitudes, I mean, I'm sure since their relationship was so intense. I wonder if they, sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. I wonder if they wrote to each other. No, they were, I don't think that they were allowed to. Wow. Um, but I think that their relationship was so intense. I'm sure that there were still like longing and, yeah. and wishing and hoping. I know that they were taking college classes in, in prison. They oh. had people there helping them. And I, I would like to think therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm sure some sort of mental help, whatever that meant back then. But no issues as far as like freakouts, like I need her. Yeah. Stuff, you know. So after their release, Juliet immediately returned to England to live with her mother. Pauline didn't return to her family. She moved to, well, she didn't have her mom left. Yeah. Um, she moved to Auckland and then to Wellington and then she finished college there. And then she left the country and moved to England. She taught horseback. That she did. Yeah. She she taught horseback riding to children for a while there under a different name. I bet she did. And Juliet, she seemed to have dropped off the face of the earth for a long, long time. And I mean, I don't blame her. I don't feel sorry for her, really, yeah. in particularly. But I don't blame her for not wanting to be in the you know mm-hmm. spotlight and asked about it all the time and, yeah. and all of that. But she resurfaced. When the movie Heavenly Creatures released in 1994. Really? Yeah. And this is why I said, if this story sounds familiar to you, it's what that movie was based off of. And it was pretty popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like two, but Mm -hmm. I remember like hearing about it when I was a little bit older. Yeah. Heavenly Creatures stars the oh-so-heavenly Kate Winslet. We love us the Kate Winslet. Love it. So when the movie released, it was kind of, um, it kind of came out that Juliet had been living in Scotland as a very successful crime novelist. Okay. <laughs> Anne Perry. Anne Perry. Anne Perry. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot of books. She really? published her first book in 1979. Is she alive? And then, yeah. And then she went on to become an award-winning international best-selling author. Her most recent book came out in 2019. Wow. And she's in her 80s now. So, wow. She's got like over 60 um, novels and novellas, and she wrote some YA novels. A lot. And she's very successful. Okay. Um, And I was kind of having issues with that, too. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's really cool. She's like this badass woman author. And then, oh, wait, she murdered her 
best friend's mom. Right. And now she's writing about murder. Right. And it just, I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. It sucks because, yes, she went on to do something good with her life. Neither one of them, as far as we know, has murdered anyone else. Well, yeah, as far as As far as we know. But, like, so many people don't get that chance to prove that they can turn their lives around. Right. You know? So I'm very, I feel very conflicted about that. Especially because we write books. Right. And it's like, wow, that's cool. Wait, she's a killer. You know? Exactly. When you were saying that, I was like, oh, man, I want to go look for her books. But then I was yeah. like, no, I don't want to support her. But wait, yeah, I do. But no, yeah, I can't. Because you're like, but wait, she was only 16. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, not in a right place. She, her brain and, was literally not yeah. fully developed. Yeah. But, but it's like, like, but that's a brutal <laughs> fucking murder. Right. It's not like she accidentally hit someone with her car. Right. It would be so different. It was and very it was also premeditated. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, that is a very I sat hard... for a long time thinking about this last night when I was finishing up my the yeah. end of this. I'm like, man, I don't know what to feel about this and Anne Perry. That is a really tough yeah. place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe people can change and of reform. Course. But I also don't think that you should always, you know, forget. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't oh know. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. It's weird, right? Right. Yeah. So neither Pauline or Juliet have made very many statements about the murder of Honora. But in the ones that they have made, they both express regret and remorse about what they did. Okay. So, and I know that's one of like the goals. Right. Absolutely. Some killers never express remorse. No. They did because they're not sorry. Yeah. But it still doesn't make it okay. Right. It doesn't, you still cannot murder someone. Right. Did they ever meet up again? As far as we know, huh? Because the parole, and since it was so long ago that they were paroled, that was one of their conditions. They couldn't have any contact. They couldn't meet up. I'm not sure, because that sentence that under Her Majesty's, whatever it was, that's technically like a life sentence. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if the parole lasts their entire lives. I'm not sure if it would even matter at this point, if they could go back to prison if they broke that. Right. It's been so long. I don't know the answer to that. Like how are they checking in with the parole officer every week? I'm not sure if they still are or not because it is like an indefinite sentence. That is really wild. Mm, Which I don't, we don't have that here, anything like that. So I'm not familiar with it. But I'm, I'm very I am very curious to hear in our Facebook group mm-hmm. what all of our listeners think. Yes. Like about that. Yeah. Like, I, I'm i pretty sure a lot of them believe that you can change and you can get better. I think you can. Yeah. yeah. But like, I think that would that's, you like, then I know we didn't talk about this at all, but like, would you leave your kid with Grandma Perry? Right. Knowing what she did when she was 16? Yeah. I, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. It's such a hard, like, I can't even, like, I'm so glad I'm not in that position. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, like, one half of you is like, oh, yeah, I want to believe that they are good. And that they grew up and that they learned and that they would never do that again. Yeah. And I'm glad for them that they they did that. Absolutely. But But then the other half of me is like, but they were capable of it. Yeah. So is that in there somewhere? Yeah. That line was crossed once. Oh, it is so hard. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, there's that whole other aspect of, like, what privilege they have to be able to prove that, that they can reform. Right. Well, let us know what you guys think. I don't know how I feel. (laughs) I don't know how I I feel. Okay. All right, Tori. What are you reading, watching, listening to? 
I'm reading Synthetic Love by Our Love. How Christina far have Hart. you gotten? Um, I think I'm about halfway through now. Yeah. Ish. You're savoring it. I truly am savoring it mm-hmm. like a big, juicy, steak. medium, rare steak. <laughs> I am also reading a book that I'm not going to tell you what it is because it'll give away my next episode. Oh. When I have the floor. Ooh. Oh. So if I tell you guys, you're going to know what the next app is. I don't even know, so don't feel bad. Yeah. Um. So I'm reading two different things. I watched Cruel Summer. It's a cruel. Can I have? Can I tell you one little thing summer. about that really quick? Yeah. I was reading. I saw an article, probably like fucking BuzzFeed or something, about that show and mm-hmm. like um reaction tweets to the mm. show. And there were a lot of tweets about. Oh, it's Taylor Swift's song, Cruel Summer. Did they rip her off? Cruel oh, Summer. Oh, like, my Number God. fucking one. It's not Taylor Swift. It's <laughs> goddamn Bananarama. Yeah, Bananarama had that shit <sighs> long, decades before Taylor Swift. And it's better. It's a better bop. Truly. It's a much better bop. Anyway, what did you think about the show? Um, I really liked it. I've seen all three episodes mm-hmm. that are out so far. I it know. comes on We've Wednesdays. been discussing it. We've already talked all about it, you guys. Um, but I'm really liking it. I really like how it goes back and forth between the three years mm-hmm. and how you can see just how much like the anatomy of a life yeah. can change over the course of of a year mm-hmm. you know and it's very layered very layered and i don't know what to think i know it's like another one of and those and that's the point i think who you know did it yep. did she do it did she do it did she do it did he do it mm-hmm. who knows what and what knows who and how are we gonna solve it <laughs> <laughs> oh, that okay good um so <laughs> so there's that you're welcome okay um what else okay reading watching i started watching that movie that you told me about on netflix things heard and seen things heard and seen things seen and heard things that i heard one or the once other once in a time it's in that realm yeah it has amanda seyfried seyfried mm-hmm. it's got amanda cereal amanda cereal in there i'm only about halfway through i told you to watch that and i haven't even started it yet yeah but i, I was to. gonna i was gonna beat you to it because you, you just me. told me about it last night uh-huh And I got into bed and I turned it on and I sat there for an hour. Good. And before I went to bed, which is crazy because it was midnight. Yeah. I don't do that. That is not in my blood. So it isn't in my blood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's okay. Mm -hmm. There's a part that I know you're going to think is wacko banaco. Okay. Like banana rama kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Only like ghosty, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's okay so far. We'll report back. What about you? Reading. Oh, wait. What about podcasts? Are you yeah. listening to any? I, I started the one, the the new counter clock, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the 20 episode drop. Yeah. I know what I've been listening to other ones, but my phone's dead, so I can't look. Yeah, it's okay. We'll report it's next okay. time. Okay, but what about you? Reading, watching, listening? I'm not reading anything. I haven't no. in a long time. I haven't been in the mood. You got to be in a mood. I have to be in the mood. Why are you and I have to have chunks of time. Yeah, right. That that aren't available currently in my inventory. They don't have Okay, um, podcasts, I did finish, like you just said, the counterclock. New season, season three, right. about the Pelly murders. The Pelly murders. The two little girls and the mom and the dad and the, the stepdad and the stepmom. It's a blended family, okay? Um, murdered, found, shot in the parsonage because the dad was a pastor, minister, or was he? 
Or was he? I finished that whole season, all 20 episodes. Listen, the what? first step I think that they should do is listen to the Crime Junkie one. Yeah. Because it gives you like a general overview. So then you want to know, like if you want to know more mm-hmm. and you want to dig deep into it with Delia, then you can then go to Counterclock and they dropped all 20 yeah. episodes. This isn't so, an ad. It kind of so, sounds like hold one. Hold on. Tori's going off on a roll here, but I'm going <laughs> I'm to explain. On a roll. Listen to the Crime Junkie episode. It's called Infamous Prom Night Murders. That will give you an overview. And then if it intrigues you like it intrigued me and you, yep. Tori, you can go listen to Counter Clock, mm-hmm. season three. They dropped all of the episodes at once so that you can listen to them all the way through yeah. without having to wait. And they're only like 20-ish minutes long. So they're not very long. So I finished that. I finished the Someone Knows Something season about Carrie Brown. David Ridgen, the host and I the like him. journalist, investigative journalist. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. just really good at what he does. And I mean, that one's it's incredibly sad. They're all sad. But this was a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Who was found brutally murdered in a small town. And it's true. Someone has to fucking know something. Right. And I'm glad that he's doing these digs into the investigation. And kind of calling people out. and Calling people out. And you know something, fucking do what's right. Yeah. Oh, you know what I watched? I watched that documentary on Netflix called Why Did You Kill Me? Oh, yeah. About the MySpace messages. Mm -hmm. It was short. It wasn't very long. I was just watching it when I was eating and my children weren't home. Yeah. It was good, though. It was very sad. What else? I think that's it. I don't think I've watched anything. Oh, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, Handmaid's Tale season four, right? Yeah, Tanner's really into Handmaid's Tale. I like it a lot, too. I feel like I would have to go back and watch it from the beginning. Yeah, they do do a pretty good recap on the first episode of this new season because it has been a long time. And I got to say, it's hitting a little differently in these times. I bet it is. You know? But it's such a good show. It's such a well-done show. It really is. But it it is. is. It's kind of just like, oh, 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 oh. But that's it. That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all I got. If you have a story like Courtney, a ghost story, a um, silly story, a funny story, a uh-huh. weird story, something that happened in your hometown, anything you want, you can send that. I mean, not anything you want. We've said this before and I'll, we'll say it again. No dick pics. No fucking um, dick pics. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. You, not <laughs> you. You wouldn't. Not but anyway, you. if you do, you can send that to cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram at cruel and unusual the pod. I tweet. tweet. <laughs> Came in cruel. hot with that one. You were so fucking quick. <laughs> at cruel unusual pod. I have been tweeting a little. I've noticed because I get the <laughs> notifications. <laughs> cruel and unusual the podcast just tweeted. If I was standing, I'd do a little jig, but I'm up and my ass hurts. <laughs> Join our Facebook group at not not at cruel and unusual colon, colon. the group on facebook go to cruelinkmedia.com for merch source material show notes and patreon. more patreon yeah. stuff and more thank you patreons patreoni pepperonis we love you we and we love you we love you bye bye, bye. bye.